0: This episode of Radcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings.
1: Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on!
2: Hunting, fishing, and everything in between, this is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick
0: Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of RagCast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards.
2: I'm David Merrill.
0: And we are here once again with our good buddy, Matt Good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. There was no pun intended on our good buddy, Matt (laughs) Good. (laughs) 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 Got to have some fun with that. So we had Matt on to talk last time about Search and Rescue, but I really am intrigued because I don't know anything about it, but Matt builds custom rifles. So I wanted to bring you in to talk a little bit about that. Um, and tell us about what you make and what your business is all about. So I build yeah, custom rifles
1: and, uh, man, that's a good question. What is my business all about? Just helping people get the rifle they want, you know, like it's a custom rifle and want it to be exactly what they want it to be. So that's kind of my end goal is to make sure that Customers is 100% satisfied, and that, that rifle is what they envisioned to, to start with or better.
0: And it's not just rifles, right? I mean, you guys do some handguns and some other things too, right?
1: Yeah, so kind of the bread and butter, the stuff that I really enjoy is the, the custom rifles. The precision rifles is kind of what I specialize in, but obviously you deal in that realm. There's a niche, to, especially in our community with uh, just general gunsmithing, gun repair type stuff. Cerakote is one of the processes, you know, to, to finish the rifle, so that's kind of almost become its own little specialty, own little service
0: that I do as well. So tell us what that is.
1: Uh, so it's like a, it's a firearms finish, uh ceramic spray on, bake on type finish. It's uh, supposed to be one of the best, one of the toughest out there. So
2: a lot thinner than powder coat and a lot tougher.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the. I, I'm thinking it's way tougher. Um, oh yeah, it is. But yeah, definitely way thinner. And uh,
2: yeah, it, it
1: outperforms like parkerizing or hot bluing as far as uh, corrosion and
0: abrasion resistance. So. So how do you apply that? Do you have to have some specific equipment or?
1: Yeah. Um, the process is, is kind of simple. Um, start out with degreasing. So acetone, um, get rid of all the grease and then some sandblasting with aluminum oxide, like 150 grit aluminum oxide. And depending on the material, you know, if it's aluminum plastic or steel, all varying PSIs that you, that you spray it at or, um, etch it, I think is the, the right term. And then, uh, from there more acetone to make sure it's, really really clean um you spray on the finish and uh then it goes in an oven and bakes you know depending on again the material uh for a couple hours so
0: wow, it sounds like a lot of labor
1: it is a lot of labor kind of time intensive you know you can spend yeah quite a bit of time between setup and cleaning your your spray gun and everything else and then letting it sit in the oven for the the needed time to cure so yeah it does take some time but that's why it's
0: expensive yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it's probably out of my price range.
2: Well, you know, we're sitting here in the bow spider headquarters and I think half of the, half the critters on the wall were, were shot with about a 440 grain arrow traveling at 300 feet a second. And it's, it's pretty, pretty lethal. But the other half were, uh, you know, harvested with, with little projectiles that pushed by a smokeless powder. And we don't discriminate <laughs> here in, in bow spider <laughs> HQ, you know, that's, it's, however you put protein on the ground is fine with us. Yeah and we we can uh, i appreciate a, a nice fine firearm that can you know shoot a nice group at a couple hundred yards that's you know having gone from being handed a a semi-auto 270 at 16 years old and that that could shoot about an eight inch group at 200 yards to you know right now my my go-to is just a tika t3 super light in aught six i've loaded some uh i've gone through a couple different renditions of the load and the the newest one is the uh Hornady ELDXs. It's a .5 at at 100 yards. Yeah, with with a factory barrel, a factory trigger, you know, and it's just a three to nine by forty scope. So it's nothing. We're not talking your your level of stuff, <laughs> right? But yeah. it it is neat when you go from you know, you get handed that eight inch, you know, so a four inch group at a hundred yard rifle to a, a half inch group at a hundred yard. rifle. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days, like, you know, it was a an old, I think mine was like a Mauser action, you know, it was all my aunts and uncles used it when they were little kids, you know, and it hit a pie plate at a hundred yards. You were good to go. You know, it was just you and your rifle. And it's like, now I go out and shoot and I need a range finder and a wind meter and a
2: ballistic calculator. And it's like, <laughs> man,
1: it's kind of kind of missed the, the simple, Simple days, but
2: yeah, but you're you're no longer shooting a pie plate at a hundred yards. You're now shooting a pie plate at a thousand. Right?
0: Yards. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so that brings me to something I wanted to ask you about is the long distance shooting thing has become huge. Yeah, across the United States, and I know you spend a lot of time building guns to do just that. So, talk a little bit about what kind of rifles you're making and just kind of why that is such a big deal anymore.
1: There's, I don't know. I guess you could say kind of two different customers that I, that I see most commonly. And you have like the competition guys that, that shoot bench rest or PRS style matches. Um, And those require, you know, a precision rifle, precision components. Um, And then like the, the guys we see on the wall here uh, that, that spend the money on the QU, the Sitka gear to go way back in the backcountry on a super expensive hunt and can't, can't miss a shot or, or don't want to miss a shot on a hunt like that. Um, so I would say the, the long range, I guess kind of does extend your lethality, but there's a, there's a side of that where it's like, it doesn't do any good without training and not knowing what you have or, or how to account for when. And and
2: and there's trade-offs too, right? So a a custom competition bench match gun, right? is going to be heavy. Yeah. I mean, they just are. And if, if you get time to go watch, Bow Spider's latest sheep film, you'll you'll understand, you know, where we're taking these rifles and what we're doing. Ounces matter. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a trade-off of, yeah, you're going to, you're going to sacrifice a rifle that may not perform as well. You know, when we're talking out past 600 yards, but if you're lugging this thing around for 50, 60 miles, when ounces matter, you know, if you can go from a 11 pound rifle down to a seven pound rifle, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of extra meals in my backpack. Yeah.
1: Yep, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing, you know, all that, the hunting rifles, it seems like I build these days are all carbon fiber, you know, carbon fiber stock, carbon fiber barrel, um, titanium actions. Um, yeah. Weight is, is a huge consideration for the hunters and then, yeah, just precision
2: coming from the outfitting background. And and I'd like to stress and just building that Tika T3 super light, you know, they, they don't even build in that light anymore, but I think it was 5.7 ounces bare and then everything added up. I'm under seven pounds with that rifle. That .ot six has more recoil than my 300 mag. <laughs> yeah. Because my 300 mag's like nine and a half pounds. Yeah. And then when you you actually now when you're in the hunting, you I never have felt recoil in, in that right. in the moment right. But at the bench, I'm not joking. My 300 rum, which is a you know, it's one of if you know anything, it's it's a bigger caliber. I can put 12 rounds through it at the bench before I'm like, yeah, that's a good. That's a good day. Yeah, that thirty out six, that little light thing. The third round, I went. Yeah, I'm good. It's enough. Yeah, that's enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, got hammered enough. You'd had enough. I'd
2: heard. It's the three hundred rum is a big push. It, it gives you a little bruising. The, uh, the thirty out six is just a snappy punch. It just it stings right off the bat.
0: That doesn't sound like fun to me. So what what's the popular you know, caliber or type of gun that's coming through your shop? What are people asking for? It depends on the year. Um,
1: it seemed like last year was all, I built a ton of 28 Nosler. So it was a great round, um, you know, seven millimeter bullets, anywhere from, you know, 160 to 190 grain bullets. Um, that one was really popular last year. And then this year it was a bunch of six, five PRCs and 300 PRCs, um, so it is a little bit trendy. It just kind of depends on what's popular. Today's day and age, it's just whatever you can find brass for.
0: Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so, um,
1: yeah, but those are, this last year, uh, hands down, I built more 6.5 PRCs than anything. Um, a great, great hunting ground, you know, a neat, neat little round,
2: so. No, my brother just got the 300 PRC, and I was comparing that to my 300 rum, and it does everything actually even a little better than the 300 rum with 12 grains less powder. So, I mean, you got less felt recoil and it's it's using, you know, efficient powders to basically achieve the same ballistic coefficients and foot feet per second.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's super close. Um I think it's yeah, if there was a middle ground between like a three hundred wind mag and a three hundred ultra mag, it, it would be that one. And I was like, I didn't think there was middle ground, but there was. It, they really did hit a sweet spot with that one. Yeah, the recoil's not terrible. It's not like the Ultra Mag. Uh, and I was he says it's like push, but I yeah, I'm too much of a wimp for that round. <laughs> I was looking at a
2: three thirty eight Lapua and I, I think the three hundred PRC is is a better all around choice.
1: Yeah. Yep. It's, it's a neat round. I think if I were going to build one for myself to go hunt in Wyoming, it would probably be that one. Um, I like a 30 Cal,
2: it might be excessive, but
1: I think I'd probably build myself a 300 PRC. I like it.
2: So do you, do customers get to pick their action and then kind of build up a rifle from there? How's, how's the process start?
1: Yeah. Um, definitely they get to pick their own action, their own stock. Um, and that's kind of what got me into the rifle building is I, I bought my first custom rifle from a guy in Idaho he builds He builds an amazing rifle. He's probably one of the best rifle builders in the country. Just really well known builds great stuff. I got it. And it wasn't like totally like custom custom, you know? Um, so it didn't, it wasn't, it was a great rifle, but I just wasn't totally satisfied with it. And so that's one thing I, when I started, it's like, I want to, I want to make sure I keep these things custom. So yeah, I always let the customer pick. Um, a lot of times they, they say, what's your recommendation. And if I do have actions on barrels and stocks, I prefer over others. So I, I understand that, that side of like limited choices because some of the stuff isn't, it's not all made equally. So
2: my mind goes to, you know, if somebody wants a custom sand rail or somebody wants a custom computer, you're still going to have a generic, Hey, you want to go with an LS engine? Or you want to go, you know, we're, we're not talking, we're going to go down and actually start milling receivers and and start making new brass and making a new cartridge. You're going to pick a cartridge. You're going to pick a, a well-known, action receiver and then then build it from there
1: yeah yep absolutely so yeah if you don't have any idea like what these parts are like if patrick collins like hey i just want a nice rifle and we you know we'd start by asking like what you're going to do with it you know so that dictate how how big of a barrel you or what barrel contour if it's going to be carbon fiber how far are you going to carry the rifle should be one of the first (laughs) questions me really well he'd be (laughs) like
0: patrick what are you going to use this for let me help you figure this out (laughs) yeah
1: and that's totally okay. And so yeah, we just start with that. What are you gonna use the rifle for? And then we figure out, you know, the parts and we can get you, you know, kind of a night ballpark idea what it'll cost. And sometimes that
2: dictates what the parts we go with. So And my two cents on, you know, getting a new rifle is great. Practice with it, awesome, right? I had way too many clients that had a, you know, great reliable two seventy or thirty out six come on their first guide at Elkunt and had to go buy some three hundred magnum of some kind. Yeah. And show up and couldn't shoot the thing. Yeah, right. And so I don't care. And you know, I've seen elk fall to two forty threes. Right. So you don't have to have anyone. You know, I saw Weatherby just came out with a six five three seven eight. I think it is or three three eight. It's 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 a sweet it's a sweet caliber, yeah. but it's got almost the most felt recoil of any any rifle on the market. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's a great point. It's you definitely have to be familiar with your equipment. The best rifle in the world doesn't help you if, if you're not a good shot. So, um, yeah, you can get the job done with much less. They're, they're custom rifles, you know.
2: Uh. Jack O'Connor went all over the globe and killed everything with a two seventy yeah. except for a couple of the really big dangerous ones. He opted for a hot six so he can put a heavier <laughs> bullet in it. Yeah. Right? So,
0: Yeah, yeah times have changed, and everybody's pretty – I mean, and it's not just in – You know, rifles, it's in a lot of different industries. Bows, you see the same thing. Everybody's looking for that, you know, is it a little bit less weight or this or that, more feet per second. Fishing, you know, you're looking for this type of rod versus that type of rod. I mean, there's lots of different options. Just just the carbon
2: fiber in the last, in fishing rods in the last 15 years. And I don't know which industry is pushing the the curve on that. Right. But we now have carbon fiber barrels. We now have carbon fiber bows. We have carbon fiber arrows. We got carbon fiber fishing rods. We got carbon fiber in, you know, everything. our cars, everything. Planes, right? yeah. yeah. So, but I, I will say that, you know, when you look at the uh, technology curve with compound bows specifically, when I first started, I mean, I had a round wheel bow with aircraft cables and, you know, composite one piece limbs, not these five piece, you know, basically fiberglass limbs. And, you know, I, I, it was, it was 94. I think I got that bow and it was shooting maybe 220 feet a second, you know, and it was noisy and it had a ton of vibration. Now, I mean, I'm at like 306 feet a second with a 440 grain arrow with no sound and no vibration.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And rifles, I'm sure it's similar deal. If you were to pick up a, you know, a two seventy made in the 1970s, and compared to something that you build, there's a huge difference.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of where the, the difference is. Like like you're saying, you can go get the job done with an old Remington 700 chambered in 270. You can go kill anything on the planet with it. Um, you get in the custom rifles, it's kind of a, a refinement. You know, you, you start really want to i guess most people that buy a custom rifle are looking to extend their range and that's going to be a game of of stacking all the odds possible in your favor um so yeah it's it is kind of like going maybe from the Toyota Corolla or the Ford F250 like you mentioned earlier to a Corvette or you know kind of a supercar where you you have the best parts possible and it's going to it's going to perform better than anything you can buy from the factory um so definitely not necessary to go kill animals but uh, if you start stretching things out, you, you want to stack everything you can or all the odds in your favor. at that point,
0: are you starting to see a lot of those guys who are doing those competition shoots coming to you for custom guns?
1: Yeah, a, a couple, not a ton. Um, it doesn't seem like that community's too big. Like in central Wyoming, I know like Gunworks up in Cody, they've, they've got quite a bit of that going on. And then I know some guys down in Laramie that do quite a bit of shooting. Um, I think there's a small bench community around here, um, but not a lot of the PRS stuff, but, um,
2: yeah. So, well, one thing Wyoming does do is it breeds long distance shooters because I mean, I built a 300 blackout when I lived in Alaska as my wolf gun, right? Yeah. Cause hundred yards was a long shot <laughs> in that sub boreal forest that, you know, it's just, it, it's black spruce and you know, the trees are four inches diameter, but they're just thick, yeah. right? Yeah. I moved out here and I was, had that AR and I was going out coyote hunting. I'm like, uh, 300 blackout has about a 200 yard range and it's done. Yeah. And I went, uh, okay. So we, we upgraded, graded that to a six, five Grendel real quick.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get to Wyoming and there's not many places you can't see less than 600 yards. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Although with the smoke lately, it's been a little rough seeing yeah. miles like we're used to seeing, yeah. it, but that's all right. Yeah. So what's your favorite gun to build? If you had to pick one, What's your favorite to put together for a client or do you have one? So there are some
1: parts that I like better than others that, you know, so probably I would say like a bighorn action or a lone peak action. Those two seem to be my favorites. Like I just like the way they feel. They seem to function well. Um, man, and all the barrel manufacturers like Krieger, um, Brooks, uh, Bartland, like they're all top of the line. They, they all build really, really great barrels. Um, so I'd probably go with one of them proof research. If you want to do a carbon, they make great all steel barrels too. And then the stocks there's the, that's where things get kind of dicey. There's some stock makers that don't make things as, as well as others. Um, I build, I really trust AG composites. That's probably 90% of the rifles I build, or at least the hunting rifles I build um, are put in AG composite stocks. super lightweight. And, and there's uh, a,
2: there's a big difference just in the grip of, of one of those stocks. Yeah. Right? If you, you can get basically a, a, I mean, I don't have the term, but a zero degree grip, right? A, yeah. a target shooting grip. So it's a, prone like a pistol. Only. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. But if you're in a hunting situation and you try and freehand that rifle, it's, it's uncomfortable to shoot. It's designed to be in a prone position only.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The stocks are definitely something uh, like a personal preference type item. So yeah. And AG has a lot of different models to choose from. Um, so that's kind of neat. And then, like, all the chassis manufacturers, there's a bunch of them out there, like Masterpiece Arms and uh, MDT, XLR. Like, they all build really good stuff. So it's like you almost can't go wrong with a lot of these parts. Like, everybody's building top-of-the-line stuff.
2: But, again, it's kind of going back to, you know, your purpose, mission-driven. What is What do you want to do with this firearm, not just, yeah. hey, I want a Ferrari, right? Yeah. Because if you just go buy a Ferrari and then you end up going on a four-wheel drive competition, right. you're not going to be yeah. happy, right? Yeah. But the same point in time, if you go get the best four by four, you know, let's say hunting rifle, that's built for an all around situation and you're only going to go to the track and do the Ferrari test, you're yeah. not going to be happy either. right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess I didn't really answer your question, Patrick, but I guess if I had to say, like <laughs> if I was going to pick like kind of a, a realm, I like a, a low recoil, really quiet and a really heavy rifle. Like uh, they're just my favorite to shoot. Like they're just fun. If there's no noise, there's no recoil, you know.
2: It makes it fun. I'll let you know. Mine isn't even custom. Uh, Marlin built it and they chambered it in 17 HMR. Yeah. And they put a one inch bull barrel on that thing. Dude, it's like shooting a daisy red rider, but at 200 yards, it'll put a, it'll put a shot in a pop can every shot. If the wind isn't blowing, (laughs) if the wind blows, uh, (laughs) just put the gun away. Well, and that's another factor. You know, you
0: talked about carrying all the different gear and having the rangefinder and you know, yeah. Kestrel. So, so tell me a little bit more about that. If someone was to get into distance shooting, what all do they need and what should they be thinking about for gear?
1: That's a, yeah, that's a tough one to answer. i to um, give you all the tough questions. It's, it's so, <laughs> yeah, it's broad. Um, I think the biggest thing that surprises people. So I have this, this ballistic program, um, made by applied ballistics, Brian Litz. He's kind of like, he's like the guy, like, he researches stuff. He's, I believe a rocket scientist. Um, so he made this program where, um, it's called his Weapon in employment zone program. And so you can pick a target, pick your bullet and its velocity and everything else, and then set that target at a certain range and then set your parameters. So like your atmospheric variables, your wind, um, and then how well you can, um, collect all that data. So like if you can call your range within one yard, or more, plus or minus a yard. If you can call your wind within two miles an hour, you know, you go through all these parameters and and give you, put those into the computer and then it'll give you, I don't know how many shots it runs, but it basically runs a shot simulation. It tells you, hey, you'd hit this six inch target at a thousand yards uh, 75% of the time. Um, and the variable, I guess what I was getting at that surprises everybody is I'll always start with, like you can call your wind within one mile an hour. Um, and then I'll bump that up to two and it, like, it almost always, I should have brought it, it'd been neat to see, it always cuts your hit percentage in half, at least. Uh, just, you know, depending on yardage, of course, um, but that's always the big, the thing that surprises people, like, wow, if I'm off on my wind by two miles an hour, it cuts my hit percentage in half. You know, it's all dependent on yardage and bullet and everything else, but uh, I'd say that's the one that surprises people the most. So I think learning how to, to read wind is, like, number one. And then, yeah, ammunition, having good, consistent ammunition's huge, because you uh, you standard deviation on your your velocities is going to affect uh where it hits as far as your elevation goes man having a scope that that adjusts true like it just gets deep <laughs> um
2: so like having Tr- the right rifle- trigger breaks clean a, a barrel yeah. that's bedded properly yeah
1: up. yeah and then you do your part you know you shoot quarter minute or half minute or whatever that looks like so yeah that's the idea with the rifles is hopefully i can take all of that out for you and then the rifle isn't a concern. It is an issue. There's no guesswork on the rifle. Sure. You know, the guesswork's in your wind call or and,
0: whatever. And you know, the wind never blows in Wyoming. No. So we don't have to worry about it. I right. mean, it just never, <laughs> never yeah. blows here. right?
2: <laughs> well, I know like the ballistics for my aunt six with that one, seven, two, it's like 58 or 59 inches of drop at 600. Mm-hmm. And it goes to one forty seven or one twenty. It it doubles. It over doubles at, at uh, I think it's one hundred twenty seven at seven hundred yards, and then somewhere between six and seven, it goes subsonic. Right from ultrasonic yeah. to subsonic, and there's some really funky things that happen. So yeah. in my little, in David's little world of if if his bow isn't going hunting and the six <laughs> is going hunting, yeah four or 500 yards. We, we get much past 500 yards and I'm going to figure out a way to get closer. Yeah. Right? But if it's, if it's 300 yards and under game over. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think just talking about all that and kind of thinking that through, I would say read a book and I'd recommend the applied ballistics. Like, so modern advancements in, in long range. I can't remember. I think it's modern advancements in long range shooting. Um, but anyways, they're all wrote by Brian Litz. Like that's a great, like almost exhaustive resource as far as long range stuff goes. And I think having a grasp on the ballistics and drop and what the wind does and uh, Coriolis effect and, you know, actually the spinning of the earth, like affects your, your shots depending on your compass heading. And <laughs> yeah, It's crazy. so it gets really deep. It's kind of cool and uh, I really enjoy it. But yeah, maybe reading a book would be a good place to start and maybe stay off the forums because there's a lot of, uh less than um what's the right word? Less
0: than knowledgeable people.
2: Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. I laugh because uh I have been self banned from the forms. Yeah. Same here. I can't do fishing forms. I'm like, nope, can't do it. Yeah. yeah I, I I get a little too animated and a little bit like frustrated, especially when it starts applying to the business. Yeah. And so I just y- you guys can have at it. Hash it out. So customers, if you're on there and there's something uh, amiss, you could sort it out. I, 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 I give you permission.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, PrecisionRifleBlog.com is another great one. That guy's, like, real scientific-based. He answers a lot of neat questions when it comes to rifles and long-range shooting. I'd say he's a good reliable. Reliable was the word I was looking for. Yeah, he's a go. reliable source. Yeah.
2: Well, but it, it is super neat to put a, a milk jug out at, you know, six fifty. Yeah. And I, had, I was shooting with a couple, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, semi auto fan, you know, AR 15s are, are neat, but I, I lay down with my Aux six and if it's 600 yards and under, especially milk jug size, That's it's, cool. it's yeah. done. Right. Yeah. I had a couple of guys that were shooting 308 and 223 and we were shooting in the wind out here at, I think it was 495, right, right at 500. And they shot each a couple of times and they're all the way around. I'm like, you guys ready for my turn to center punch that milk jug? Yeah. In? You know, it's full of water and it just, you, it explodes like a, right now, you know, you hit it. It's yeah. it's cool to shoot those reactive targets at that kind of distance. Yes, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah.
2: So you were a lineman.
0: Yes, sir. Career doing that. And then you decided, I want to work on rifles. So tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, it was a, a lineman for the power company here for the REA. And uh, it, it was a great job, but... Like I said, after I got that, that custom built rifle, I was like, man, I think I'm going to save my money instead of buying another rifle. I'm going to buy a lathe. I'm one of those guys that likes to build his own stuff, you know, Uh, like to tinker. So it's like, I'm going to get a lathe and I'm going to build my own rifle and build my own rifle. And then all the line, like most linemen are outdoorsmen too. And, uh, they're, like, hey, I need a rifle, you know, so I ended up building rifles for a lot of the linemen I worked with, and then I was like, you know, the coat, like, I could probably stay busy doing that and make a little money on the side, and then it just kind of snowballed from there, um, and eventually got to a point where I was, I was super busy, and it's like, it's kind of one of those deals where I was kind of feeling called to that, where uh, being the youth pastor and taking care of youth group at church, I it felt like that was really taking a back seat, so I, I wanted to, I needed to clear some time up, and eventually got to the point where I just decided, like, I'm definitely, I'm being called to to the youth group. Like I want to put more time into that ministry and, uh, I want to be home with my family. Like the line trade is a great trade, but, uh, you're gone when the phone rings and the power's out, you have to go. So that was really cool. Uh, just went for it and God's taking care of us. We've, we eat every month. Um, I'm probably fatter than I've ever been, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And then I think two months after, after we decided to make the leap and go full-time building rifles, you know, I'm working out in my garage, found out we're going to have our first kid. So, It's like, man, it's just been so neat to, to do that and just, yeah, just kind of live out your faith, you know? So that's been, that's been really cool for me. I think the coolest thing of this, this little journey.
0: So, yeah. You had to take that step. Yeah. Go for it. Put yourself out there.
2: I know that step. Patrick's talked about it with, with PK a little bit, right? And Mm -hmm. Patrick's seen it with bow spiders. It's, it's a nerve wracking. You you don't get to dip your toe in, right? You don't just get to, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to play at building rifles in my free time while I actually have a job yeah you know if you're going to make the commitment you have to just dive in head first and it's you know until somebody has done that you you know you just can't it's it's tough to describe the feeling of hey i I've, I've quit all my other jobs and this is going to be my source of income yeah
0: well and it's been good to watch you do this and you know, get get your foot in the door because it does take a while because you have to build a clientele, yeah. and then you right. have to have that clientele tell other people because you're not going to have the same person buying a rifle you know every month. So there's a few of them, but yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> probably are <laughs> <laughs> the, the gun nuts, right? <laughs>
2: well, but you do have to have you know a good product and good customer yeah. service because if you're mm-hmm. turning out a barrel that you know isn't proofs in the pudding, if I can't buy your custom gun and it outperformed my Tika T3. I, I'm not telling anybody, right. right? But if if I can come get a rifle from you and it's head and shoulders above anything I can buy factory-wise, that's that's a no-brainer.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. That's the goal. Cool.
2: And speaking of quality products, we need to talk about one of
0: our sponsors. So Bow Spider, um, made in the USA. Made in the USA. A lot of it's made right here in Riverton, Wyoming, which is really cool. Lifetime warranty. You don't see a lot of that anymore. No. And it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, I think this is a good place to talk about that is, you know, we need to support our local economies and, and people here in the U S that are manufacturing these parts. And a great way to do that is the bow spider boat packing system.
2: There was some discussions early on about taking bow spider overseas and, you know, having some investors come in and really drive, drive a kind of whole different business model, you know, basically go after the big boxes right out the gate, saturate the market, with a foreign product. And I I said, let's not bring the investors in. Let's not, you know, just own the market. Let's earn the market, but let's make it here in the U.S. And it's been, in a lot of ways, you know, I'll just let some people in on the back end as far as, you know, if you're going to order item X, here I can order 200 of them and say they're delivered next month. If I go overseas, I have to order 20,000 of those, if they come and they're not to the correct tolerance and we have some pretty tight tolerances to get that to function the way it is. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of an inch, right? So it's not quite precision rifle, but we're not talking, you know, it's not a quarter an eighth inch. It's, it's feeler gauge stuff. So if we ordered 20,000 of those overseas and they were off, basically I own them, throw them away and have to reorder again. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's pros and cons to both sides of running a business that way. But yeah, the USA, lifetime warranty. I mean, if you need, <laughs> if you haven't checked out the YouTube of how Spider works, I mean, it's a universal lightweight bow packing system and storage. My favorite place, and I've told a bunch of people this summer, and they all look at me a little bit weird to mount one of these receivers, is the back of the headrest in your truck. Now it's designed to go on your backpack. It works phenomenally well on your hip. You saw that demonstration earlier, but when you get back to the truck, everybody just tosses their bow in the back seat or has to break all the components off their bow to put it in the hard case and close it right now. I just don't have to break the front and rear stabilizers off. I just hang it in the back seat. And even cooler is I leave broadheads in the quiver. I've got two young kids. When I get home, I hang the bow up on the wall, almost like putting the bow in a gun safe. They're not getting my razor sharp broadheads out and playing sword fights with each other and the wife screaming anymore.
0: <laughs> that would be horrible. <laughs> so if you want to get a bow spider, bow packing system, save your arms, uh, a little bit of a workout. If you're, if you're hunting out West, uh, definitely go to bowspider.com. You don't want to carry your bow all day. I think this, we this have
2: 65 retailers. So ask your local bow shop. Hey, are you carrying these yet? Mm-hmm. And check, you know, we've got a pretty good updated list of dealers online. So, you know, definitely go support your local bow shops too. Cause we're, yep. we're trying to help those same mom and pop, you know, archery independent guys that took the leap of, Hey, I love archery and I want to open a shop. Yep. And you know, they, the thing I've found is I don't do any of my own bow tuning. And there's two trains of thoughts with that. Thought one is kind of like you is go buy a bow press. I do all my own tuning and then I have to rely on me to make sure I did it right right? It's like, Hey, I think I can build a rifle better. And there's guys that are out there like that. And that's fine. I'm not in that category because I I'm of the mindset. Like if I uh, set my anything, a quarter inch off, or I twist it wrong, or I break a limb or a string. Now I'm out season. I only get to blame me. If I hand it to a bow shop and say, Hey, make this perfect. And then when I'm out there, you know, now there's a, there's a professional, that's risking kind of his livelihood by handing me that kind of guarantee that, Hey, I've set up and tuned your bow. It's good to go. I would take it hunting. Right. yeah Kind of like, I'm not going to go out and buy a lathe and, and build my own rifle, but we'll talk later about <laughs> maybe uh, you could build me a new hunting. Well, rifle. I think we've
1: got room on rifles for the, <laughs> for the bow spider attachment. Like, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but if you're in Riverton, Wyoming, go down to Rocky mountain discount sports, they have bow spiders down there. So you can pick them up there locally and, Lots of other places you said around sixty five now, so that's great.
2: We are we are growing. Yeah, it's good.
0: So jumping back into this, Matt, you know that you get all kinds of different hunters. You know, you have your bear hunters, you have your antelope hunters, and everything in between. So tell me, you know, when you're making a a gun for say a bear hunter, what are they typically looking for? You know, I I would say bear hunters are probably usually the guys I talk to hunt
1: out of a a blind of some sort, you know, bait a lot of times. There are guys that will put a stock on them. Um, So yeah, bears are tough critters. You need a lot of lead. Usually a seven millimeter or bigger is is usually what those guys go for. So yeah, they're, I don't get a whole lot of guys that are like bear specific. It seems like the ones that are real specific are the mule deer hunters. It seems like those guys are off a little bit. Like <laughs> they're, they're really willing intense. to go all out. Yeah, hey, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. So those ones, it seems like the mule deer hunters are are really specific um, in, in what they
0: want um, for good reason. So. so what are they looking for? Typically
1: lightweight? Absolutely. Like it's always the biggest concern, lightweight and kind of the cool thing about mule deers. You don't need a, a giant cartridge to, to kill mule deer, you know, a six millimeter, six and a half millimeter type cartridge is going to do the job. So yeah, like I say, a lot of those six five PRCs, those guys, you know, carbon fiber barrel, carbon fiber stock, building a light right lightweight rifle that they can put on their
0: back and go way up high and and it won't kill their shoulder and make them worn out. Yep, it's interesting. So yeah, it, those yeah. those muley guys, you know.
2: <laughs> well, and you know, mule deer, you're you're typically <laughs> shooting the rifle once, maybe twice all season right? So recoil is not a big deal. You take that same guy that's going to be, Hey, I'm going mule deer hunting once a year, and then I'm going to go run the circuit on any target shooting. And that's, that's a whole lot tougher to build one rifle for that customer, right? Cause he's on a, any given Saturday you're going to put 50 or a hundred rounds through that same gun. Yeah. Yeah. And that one's that one,
1: those are always tough because you will get guys like, well, I'm getting old. I don't want to deal with recoil, but I want to go shoot elk. You know, and it's
2: like you guys elk will pack some lead. Like they're super tough. You just asked for a submarine that would go to the space station.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of one of those deals. Yeah. yeah it's really hard to, they are really specific for the task. So yeah, that can be tough to, to try to get an all around rifle.
2: Mm-hmm. Tika T3 super light and 30-06.
1: That'll handle everything you need. <laughs> just well, go shoot a match with that. Yeah. <laughs> there's a
2: moose, there's an antelope, and there's a mule deer on the wall from that Tika T3 30-06. <laughs> it may not do
0: your really long shooting competition, though. It might no. be a little tough.
2: No. <laughs> well, it's
0: just interesting. I Like I said, the rifle thing is not in my scope and so it's always kind of interested me because i mean fishing guys you know your dad's a fish big fishing guy you know we spend a ton of money on fishing equipment and so we'll have dozens of rods and we'll have different types of spoons for different situations different types of crankbaits it's very Two fish finders on the boat yeah. one for this and one and, for that and your ice fishing ones i mean you got to count those too so i mean you have all these different electronics, different things like that. And I I see that there's a huge parallel with rifle shooting and distance shooters and hunters and whatnot. So it's just interesting to me because the passion's different, but it's the same in a lot of ways. Like all of us are trying to get outdoors. We're trying to experience, you know, being outside and doing something that we like to do. And so it's just kind of cool to hear a little bit more about it because I really am just totally ignorant on the subject, but um, you've, you've shared a lot that's interesting to me, but there's one question we typically ask our guests that I haven't asked you yet. And David knows what it is, but it's, it's, it's important to me is when you go out and you go hunting or you go fishing and you procure something, what's your favorite thing to eat and what's the recipe for it? Brain stew. Brain stew. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm like, Oh boy, this is going to get weird. <laughs> this just got weird.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't, this, I don't know if you guys will balk at this, but one of my favorites, like my favorite hunting is, is antelope hunting. And and when one of my favorites is antelope jerky and I use high mountain seasonings. Mm, Um, Good stuff. I can't remember. I think I mix like all of them together. I kind of change it up every year, but antelope jerky, like I know it sounds weird. Like elk steaks. Good. I've also had some terrible elk meat, but uh, antelope jerky is just like consistently one of my favorites to get that. I, I usually smoke it. That and a beer you know, just as a little snack, like I just, that's my, one of my favorite rewards after hunting for delicious. some reasons. Yeah. yeah.
0: Antelope meat is, I know a lot of people don't agree with me, but I don't care. It is one of the best. If you take care of that animal,
2: it is delicious. So I could, I could more, get on board More than that. once I've cooked cow elk backstrap next to antelope backstrap and the antelope is gone and people are asking for more of it before the cow elk is gone. So it's, but we've talked about this before. You're harvesting a hundred-pound animal at typically a hundred degrees. You need to get the hide off. You need to get processed, and you need to get on ice now. Throwing it's that in the back of your truck good. and driving two hours home, and then handing it to a processor, and it's still got its hide on. You're you're never going to have good antelope meat if you do that. Yeah, if you want it to taste like, I don't even know how to describe that because I've
0: had that before. It's almost like uh sagebrush adrenaline. Yeah, it's mm. nasty.
1: Mixed with Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah. I don't gross. know. That's how I describe
0: it. It's gross. So yeah, don't do that. Definitely get it processed right away. But I always ask that question, or David does, you know, just to see. Speaking of high mountain, I mean, some of the best stuff out there, right? I mean, it's another one of our sponsors, so we might as well just talk about it since we're on the same. So, what's <laughs> your go ahead? What's your favorite kit, like, or you said you mix them, but what's your favorite one?
1: The cracked pepper, the black pepper one, I like, like that uh, one. Just that one's. If I just only have one, that one's probably my favorite for jerky making. That's a
2: good yeah. one. The instructions on the kits are way easy, but if you're just doing backyard hamburgers, they have shakers for that. If you're doing fried fish, they've got I mean, they have I don't even know how many. (laughs) I mean, it's a ton of products. If you're cooking protein, High Mountain Seasoning has a seasoning for that protein. And I love the hickory with
0: the cracked black pepper in it for the jerky. That's my favorite kit. It's getting close to bacon season, Patrick. I know we have bacon seeds we have to harvest at some point and if you don't know what I mean you'll figure it out eventually. Um but we do grow our own bacon
2: here and have our own bacon harvest here in Fremont <laughs> County.
0: <laughs> and ham.
2: <clears throat> uh, anyway, but even uh, if you're making summer sausage or I mean and I like the whole muscle jerky and high mountain seasoning and yeah. I mean if you don't you don't even have to buy all the fancy stuff. Take a cutting board, put a roast in the freezer, get it almost frozen you know, like three-quarters away, and you just slice that thin, sprinkle, mix in instructions, sprinkle it, layer it, and then put it either in the oven or a smoker. I like the whole muscle jerky, but the kids and the wife really like the ground muscle jerky in the shooter stick. You just shoot it on wax paper, put it in the oven. They eat that, I mean, pounds of it at a time.
0: And they sell the shooting uh, gun. Yep. So it looks like a giant caulking gun, but they sell them a... High Mountain Jerky's website, so himtn com, And like we said on other podcasts, I mean, you can buy their stuff just about any place. I I know the first time I ever bought any of that was in Sydney, Nebraska at Cabela's, you know, the original Cabela's. And uh, so, I mean, you can find it just about any place you want to, but man, it is, it is good stuff. When I was a kid, one of the biggest things is you go someplace where people like to shoot and they leave their shotgun shells everywhere you know they just kind of litter the landscape with them but is that still kind of an issue i don't know matt i don't shoot much anymore
1: i i love it when you leave your brass behind
0: then i get yeah. it if it's brass yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: shotgun <laughs> shells
2: aren't as great <clears throat> right? long range shooters you know i'm when i'm shooting a 300 drum or even my hot six i mean I'm, I'm i load it all now right yeah. brass um, is in short supply so you don't leave that on the ground unless you're I don't know. I guess Crazy. the the epitome of wealth right now, Patrick, is shooting a nine millimeter to plywood target.
0: Yeah, yeah, boy, that's the truth.
1: Yeah, and I think kind of the other side of that too. I think there's been a lot of discussion on you get, you get these guys that do spend the money on a, a high end rifle, high end glass, um, but they just don't practice with their rifle, and they you know you you see wounded animals or yeah. uh, you know things like that. And I do. There is a there are few and far between like that people like that. But I think like you say, I think a lot of people are realistic in, in their, uh, their ability to shoot a rifle and not everybody, but I, that's one thing I, I don't like to see is, you know, people going out and, and wounding critters. Like that's one of the reasons I, I like to build precision rifles is for, a, you know, an ethical clean kill. Um, so I don't think the distance, maybe I don't think the, the distance people are shooting have an effect. Cause like the bullet technology is pretty amazing and uh, they do a great job. But more or less, just shot placement, I think, is is the biggest issue with long range hunting. And I know that's been a big discussion in the hunting community as far as how ethical is it. And that's, I think, it's just as ethical as um, any other kind of hunting. You know, I've I've messed up bow hunts shots with a bow from ten yards. You know, and it's just it couldn't be any better. It just I think stuff you, happens. You
2: do this long enough, it's it's going to happen. But the difference is that the ethical sportsman spends all year perfecting their craft honing their equipment so that it doesn't happen versus the unethical is i've seen this coming up in oregon a hundred times is well i didn't draw a rifle tag and it's a week before season and i can buy a general over-the-counter bow tag so i'm buying a brand new bow this week and i'm going hunting and no you need to practice for a year before you go out with that bow honestly yeah
0: yeah, we had Sam Davis on, I think it was episode 43, talking about his Shira's moose, that monster that he killed, and he talked about a few days before that he had a good shot and it just didn't penetrate, remember that? He he shot this, this bull moose, the broadhead didn't go in, the moose ran off, he tracked it for three days, it was just fine, you know, it yeah. wasn't bleeding, anything, just stuff happens, but then a few days later, yeah, you know, and he's one of those guys that shoots every day, but a few days later he got another chance and he dropped it. Yeah. So I mean, he's not the guy we're worried about. It's the guys who just go out and, like you said, they buy something real quick and they go down and they think they can just go shoot something. And it's like, well, that's not how hunting works. And same and with and fishing. Like you're yeah. not going to be very successful if you don't practice.
2: We, yeah. we talked about the I trash the uh, the fishing hole guy. There's the I trash the the mountain logging road while hunting guy, and there's the I trash the local shooting spot guy right you go to some of those and they've drug out a freezer or a washer or a couch or an old tv and the you know it's it whenever we go clay pigeon shooting you know we don't pick up the pigeons we'll pick up a whole one right but it's biodegradable clay we do take the cardboard box home and we pick up all the, sh- the casings with us right so it's yep. you know other than a little bit of black and orange broken pigeons out there you, you wouldn't know we were there
0: yeah Yeah. And that's, that's a big difference. I know every sport's got something right. Um, Unfortunately, but that's where it's our responsibility to really try to get that hammered home with people. It's way better to
2: self-police than Mm -hmm. to be enforced or just have your rights
0: taken away altogether, which could happen too. You know, there are places in Wyoming, you can't go with an off-road vehicle, you can't go shoot, you can't go do this, you can't do that. Well, why is that? Well, it's because somebody screwed it up for everybody
2: else. And unfortunately, coming from another state, Oregon, you know, in the 80s and 90s, all that timber ground was fair game. And we're talking millions of acres of logging roads, open access, go have fun. It's to the point now where it it is all gated, it's 100% gated, and people are still pulling in the little, you know, they, they don't put the gate right on the road. It's, it's far enough up that a logging truck could pull up, stop, and open the gate. Almost every one of those turnarounds has got trash. I mean, pickup loads of trash. And as a landowner the timber companies, I understand it, right? If somebody pulled in here with a pickup load of trash and threw it out in my driveway, I'd be livid. I'd yep. be mad. And, but the, the end result is sportsmen have lost access to millions of acres of usable ground because it wasn't self patrolled, right? Mm-hmm. And if we don't start doing it here in Wyoming, you're gonna see those gates go up, you're gonna see no trespassing, you're gonna see no no vehicles and it it all equates to less activities and less opportunities for all of us.
0: Yep. Well before we let you go, we gotta talk about another sponsor and then I'm gonna get all of your details on how people can get a hold of you to get a custom rifle. Uh, But PK lures, if you guys haven't checked them out yet, you're missing out. Uh, It is that time of year. We're getting into that fall period. Those fish are really going to start packing it on. This is when the fishing gets hot and the hunting happens. So if you're like me and you're going to spend most of your time fishing, it's going to be good. There's going to be less guys on the water because David's going to be up on the mountain. <laughs> so <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, you can go to pklure.com. They have a lot of different options. Uh, spooning season for, you know, spoon and walleyes below the boat, casting out and twitching those spoons back. That's coming up here pretty
2: quick. Um, the bait fish will be running. It'll be good. So go to pklure.com. Well, after I get this new custom rifle, I'll probably have my deer harvested quickly, so I'm going to get <laughs> so back down here and come come use my PK lure to to, to mess up your fishing hole.
0: Yeah, well, I'm okay with that. Um so Matt, you know, if if someone wanted to get into this or they wanted to explore it, how do they get a hold of you so that they can, you know, inquire about getting a custom rifle?
1: Yeah, I think that the best thing to do would be to give me a call. Um I love to chat and help you figure things out. So the number is on the website. I don't know if you want me to share the number. You can here. do whatever you yeah, want. It's, uh, numbers on the website and the website's cross Um, I'm kind of a, I don't know what the word is old school or a little bit different when it comes to social media. So I don't do Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. Um, so just, uh, check out the website. Cross-side I'm customers. jealous. I'm really <laughs> jealous at the moment. Yeah, it's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So crosssidecustomrifles uh, I think the the website right now is kind of in transition, being rebuilt and stuff like that. So it might be a little funky, but you should be able to find the phone number on there. Give me a call, and I'll answer any questions you have. And
2: what's the turnaround out? time on if I if I placed one today, can I have one for season? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're pretty like
1: yeah. August is always super busy because. Yeah, right now I'm trying to get all the stuff ready oh, but for the season.
2: Is it like a thirty day when you start to finish, or is it like a ninety day, or is what? What's it? What's a typical build take you time wise?
1: This year, the average has been about two months just on parts. Um, if we if we can find all the parts in stock, um, you know, usually steel, all steel barrels aren't are hard to find. Usually, you can find the right one in stock um, from one of the dealers. So sometimes, if we can get all those parts in, we can have it done inside a month or or less if we get the
2: parts in in time. So are you helping guys work up loads as well, or are you just kind of test firing once and sending them on their way?
1: I used to do that, um, but all of a sudden I couldn't find anything to to do load development with, so... Um, I've kind of put a kibosh that like I got a few guys that have brought me stuff like, Hey, here's the parts We go do it. So I, I will do go do that. I enjoy that part.
2: That is the fun part.
1: Kind of, kind of like a nerdy scientific <laughs> uh, approach to add, it. Add so. a little
2: of this, add a little yeah. of that. Can we dial it in? Can yeah. we lengthen it out? Can we shorten it up? Yeah. Make it hotter, make it colder. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. And that really does kind of put, that's kind of the goal is to, to take guesswork out of stuff for the customers when it comes to this. So um, if I can build you the rifle and the ammo, like I promise there won't be there won't be any guesswork on that side of things. So, Well,
2: yeah. there is some powder back in it's the sporting goods stores on the shelf finally. Starting I mean, to, yeah. It's starting to trickle in, no pun intended.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and everything has been backed up in the supply chain, so it
2: does take a little bit longer on lead times so for just about everything, right, David? Yeah, we, we're we're trying as hard as we can. If, yeah. if you're listening to this wondering where your bow spider's at, it's coming. And if you're waiting till uh, September 1st to order for your September 5th hunt, I'm sorry that uh, I'm not a miracle worker. You know, order today for
0: your yeah. for your yeah. hunt. Well, that's awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. And I can I can just say from knowing Matt, he's a great guy, a lot of fun to backpack with and hang out with. So, if you're going to get a customer rifle, this is a great guy to do do that with so thanks for sharing and coming on yeah thanks for having it's me it's been awesome so again if you want more Radcast outdoors you can go to ragcastoutdoors.com and you can check us out just about anywhere that you can find our podcast so please like share subscribe and if you like this episode go give us a rating yes that's a big help so we will see you next time